1: We initially noticed uh, this particular botnet when when we observed the particular user agent string that was that was being used as part of this attack.
0: That's Justin Payne. He's the head of trust and safety at Cloudflare. The botnet he's describing is called WireX.
1: And what in particular caught our attention because you know, we see attacks roughly every three minutes every day all day, but this particular botnet was different in that uh, we were seeing this user agent string, which is, is not usually something that uh, would be so consistent. It was always 26 characters. It was always seemingly random, although you know there, there was some patterns in it in that it was always alpha characters, but 26 characters every single time.
0: And so that draws your attention. Uh, what happens next?
1: Initially, quite frankly, we initially didn't uh, look into it all that much because the the attacks were relatively low volume at the time. And this was you know, relatively early on as as the botnet was starting to grow. Uh, but we had heard from uh, some of our, our friends and, and you know other folks who work in the industry at Akamai that they were seeing similar attacks against their customers. And the attacks that they were seeing uh, against some of their customers were significantly larger and definitely causing some impact in in some cases. So that certainly made us more interested in, in I think, you know, the assumption is the person was probably using the botnet to target those customers at that time and hadn't quite turned it against, you know, our customers fully yet.
0: So the the notion is that uh, when it first came on your radar that perhaps they were just testing it out?
1: That's what it seems like, testing it out or spreading it too thin, perhaps early on, versus relative to the size of the botnet. So they they may have thought they had more power than they did in, in the early days, and they realized that they weren't taking down sites as, as well as they thought they should be able to uh, when they were spreading it between Cloudflare and, and Akamai customers. It looks like they may have you know, then increased the size of the botnet in addition to kind of Focusing it on a target versus dispersing it against a handful of targets.
0: I see So take us through some of the details. How exactly does this botnet work?
1: So the botnet is consisted of uh, Android devices and that could be almost largely uh, uh, cell phones, but it also could be Potentially tablets or other devices that run the Android operating system uh, that would download one of these infected APK applications and that is typically going to be through the Google Play Store. However, there are a variety of these third-party websites out there that essentially all they do is clone the Google Play Store. So they'll have the same applications, roughly the same uh, type of design, and you, know, you can search for applications in their third-party store versus Google's first-party store. And in both cases, those APKs from this particular developer, uh, and he had multiple accounts, but it, was, it seems to be likely one developer, those APKs were uh, malicious in that they included this additional code that could be activated uh, based on commands sent from the command and control server to either launch attacks against customer or launch attacks against website owners or to do other things like click fraud, uh, which is less flashy and and impactful, but still obviously uh, malicious in nature and and does cause financial harm.
0: So is this a case where um, the malicious code is sort of being grafted onto an existing app, or were these apps being spun up for the purpose of carrying this malicious code?
1: That's a great question. As best as we've been able to gather, uh, it does not appear that these applications were uh, were compromised in some way. It doesn't seem like they were a legitimate application, which then uh, maybe the developer had their account compromised or something like that. This definitely does appear to be purely intentionally malicious in that you know, they wrote these applications and used icons in the, in the various app stores to impersonate legitimate applications. And sometimes the names were sort of similar they weren't that close because they don't i think they wanted to avoid attention of the legitimate web you know the legitimate app owner so you're not going to make an app that looks just like youtube that has a name like youtube because that's going to be easily found and disabled but they would use an icon that would look like the official youtube app for example but the name would be uh, significantly different but yeah the app would be uh, intentionally designed in such a way that the command and control server would be called out to from the infected device. And depending on what that command and control server sent, it would take particular actions, whether it's attack a website or conduct this click-fraught process. And to the users,
0: the people who have installed these uh, malicious apps, would they notice anything going on on their device or was it happening all in the background?
1: Most of it was in the background. So the, the possible side effects that, the, that someone infected may have noticed would have been you know, their battery life may have significantly drained. Uh, the device itself may have actually become warm to the touch because it was the processor and everything else on the phone was working pretty pretty hard to push out this, this traffic as part of the, uh, the DDoS attacks. And if they were on a cell network... Uh, while the bandwidth wasn't really the core of how the, the attacks were, were working, it's, it is possible that they may have been seeing significant spikes in bandwidth on their, their cell plan bill when they received it at the end of the month, for example. Uh, but this particular type of botnet wasn't focused on bandwidth exhaustion. It was more uh, application-level resource exhaustion.
0: And so, what were the types of attacks that you saw being uh, being implemented by this particular uh, botnet?
1: The WireX botnet launched volumetric DDoS application layer attacks, and, and what that means is they're not trying to exhaust the bandwidth to whoever it they is they're, they're trying to attack. So, they're not trying to fill up the pipes with so much bandwidth consumption that you can't get to whoever the victim website is. Instead, what they try and do is you know, each one of these infected devices looks like a legitimate real web browser with a real human behind it. So it, the, the way that the, the botnet was implemented on the Android device, the browser that was accessing this website repeatedly had all the functionality of a real browser. It had JavaScript functionality, it had local storage, it had cookie handling, it had everything that looked like a real user. And it would repeatedly access particular resources on a a given website to try and just eat up CPU on on the server. And it did this in a number of ways. So not only did it access particular parts of a website that may be resource-intensive like a search page where it needs to go search a database and retrieve a result and then display it, that takes a lot of resources on the server side. If you're doing that thousands of times a second, that may take down the server or significantly slow it. Uh, In addition, they also used HTTPS. So it wasn't a standard HTTP plain text uh, request to the server each time. These were largely encrypted HTTPS connections that would further use additional resources on the server side of things as well. So each one of those packets has to be handled by the server and decrypted and, and do all the normal uh, the handshake that happens as part of a HTTPS re- request.
0: What does it seem like they were up to? Was was there a ransom component to this?
1: We did see uh, a handful of, of cases, and uh, this was specifically on Akamai's side of things. They saw a handful of cases where a ransom email was sent to some of the organizations that were being attacked, although it seemed... It wasn't like most of the websites that were attacked didn't receive a ransom email, and the email that this, that some of these folks did receive, it wasn't sent to a a standard functional email address. Like it wasn't sent to you know ad, admin at or knock at or anything like that. Where most of these ransom complaints that we do see from you know, these ransom DDoS trends that have been going on lately, they use these functional email accounts, whether it's support. Or knock or admin or things that are likely to exist in these cases they emailed what appeared to be relatively random email addresses at the places they they were attacking so it seemed like maybe they were experimenting with this and not haven't really fully decided to do it um, or something potentially like that
0: so the the distribution of the malware was uh, was significant
1: Yes. Uh, we don't have exact volume numbers in terms of how many downloads. Uh, unfortunately, Google was actually too quick, which is a good, good thing to have. Uh, that's a, a good problem. Uh, they very quickly, once notified, they very quickly uh, began to take action and pull these applications out of the App Store, the Google Play Store. Uh, so we, we weren't able to grab download counts before we noticed that they were already disappearing because Google was doing a fantastic job, we know that the infected apps were in the Play Store for a little under a month, so roughly thirty days. And it, you know, I, I would have to only guess at, at possible download counts, but uh, yeah, we saw at peak one hundred and twenty thousand uh, unique IPs that were participating in attacks. So. That doesn't necessarily mean 120,000 infected devices, though, uh, because these were largely mobile devices. So the particularly unique challenge with a botnet that is comprised of mobile devices is some of them are on the the cell network and a a mobile device is going to hop from cell tower to cell tower. And each time it does that, it's going to get a different IP address and if it, and if it's participating in this you know in an attack you're going to see one device potentially coming uh, using you know depending on how far they travel 5 10 20 30 IPs so we saw um, around a maximum of 120,000 uh, unique IPs but it's really difficult to gauge how many unique devices are behind those IPs
0: Take us through the process of, of how you actually track down the software.
1: When we began the, the process of, of, we had identified this was an interesting botnet. We had, had spoken with uh, some folks at Akamai that identified a similar botnet. We started digging into the, the log files that we had available of, you know, what signatures does an attack from this botnet really show? And that led us to uh, some particular traits of, of the attack A single packet that would be sent from one of these devices that was infected would have a particular tell in it, which I can't unfortunately elaborate on, (laughs) but uh, there would would be a particular tell from that that request that would essentially say, hey, I got infected from here, which is really convenient um, because it basically said, this is the infected Android application that caused this phone, this device to participate in the attack. Which once we discovered that, everyone kind of had that light bulb moment of, is that really the application that may have, you know, led to this infection? And we did a bit of research and searching, and in most cases the apps had already been pulled from the Google Play Store, but some of these third-party websites that that duplicate a lot of the Google Play content uh, still had several of them available in, in online and able to be downloaded, and that's where we. Uh, luckily, we were able to grab one of the APKs that we believed to potentially be uh, infected. And we decompiled that APK uh, and were able to identify what appeared to be uh, a call-out to some external domain, which isn't necessarily malicious in nature, but based on the, the traits that we were seeing of this APK possibly... Being involved in a botnet, the assumption was that there was likely to be a command and control server of some sort. So, this APK calling out to some external domain was a pretty good indicator that maybe we were on the right track, and that's where we did ultimately find the uh, the, the domain that was the command and control uh, server for this this particular botnet. And once we had identified that, we would we were able to you know, just start querying uh, different subdomains that were available for that domain to see what it might output. And ultimately, we found one particular subdomain that when queried, and this is, you, know, you just you load it in your browser, you load it at the command line, something like that, it would return what domain should be attacked by the botnet mm-hmm. on each request. So that gave us an inside view of, okay, who's currently being attacked by these devices, Um, which was a pretty significant breakthrough for us in terms of, okay, now we know who's being attacked and if they happen to be an Akamai or Cloudflare customer, we could very easily attribute that to this exact botnet versus potentially some other attack that may purely by coincidence happen to target that customer.
0: Is the botnet still up and running
1: it is largely dismantled, um, and, and by that I mean there are still efforts. Uh, law enforcement is, is engaged and is actively working on, on the case, and I can't elaborate on that point, but the vast majority of the, of the functionality of this botnet has been neutralized. The, uh, the Google Play Store has removed the apps that would cause the infection. Uh, most of the applications from these third-party websites have also, you know, we've, we've gone through the process of submitting Uh, effectively abuse reports and kind of complaints about those applications on those sites, and they've been largely taken down. And uh, the command and control server that is hard-coded into any applications that may still be out there. So even if a device happens to be still infected, uh, the command and control server itself is also dealt with at this point. So a a device that may still be infected won't get any commands to launch an attack. Uh, So... Yeah, it should be largely neutralized at this point.
0: Is there anything you can share with us in terms of uh, attribution of uh, where it was where it was coming from, or who might be responsible?
1: I wish I could say with confidence. You know, w- we knew who this was and, and where they were located. However, you know, that is remarkably difficult to to say with any real confidence. Uh, so, sure. unfortunately, yeah, un- unfortunately, uh, it would be a guess at most, and and. I'd rather not speculate.
0: One of the points that you make in the report is the success in sharing information among many of the players, among those who sort of sorted this out. Can can you take us through that? How how that was a real sort of force multiplier for you all?
1: So most of the the companies that were involved in this particular process, many of us are in the same same industry. So Cloudflare and Akamai are you know, we provide very similar types of uh, application delivery platforms. Some of the other organizations who were involved with those, such as Flashpoint and RiskIQ, they don't directly have an obvious crossover in terms of where our companies live. But that being said, these are organizations who have been working together for for quite some time to address significant events that impact the internet. And by that I mean these, these groups largely began to get together Consistently, uh, when Mirai began to be a, a pretty significant problem, middle of last year, middle to late of last year, and these companies at that time, you know, this was a significant problem that everyone saw, and it wasn't, you know, that's my network, that's or that's your network, that's not my problem. These were internet scale uh, concerns that that really drew together individuals from across company, and you know, some of them may normally be competitors, but. At the end of the day you know you're not going to be a competitor if the internet's down so we've largely become friends over time but you know many of these relationships initially began as it made the most sense to work together to try and pool resources pool intelligence Um, and i mean intelligence of you know very smart employees but also uh, pooling information about the attacks we were seeing in a way that you know still strongly holds true to our our commitment of privacy to our customers, but there's still ways you can share anonymized information that may ultimately still be useful, but doesn't necessarily impact the the privacy of either company's customer base.
0: Would a standard uh, antivirus installation detect this?
1: Uh, At the time that we were looking at at these particular APK files, some of the antivirus vendors were identifying these particular APKs as being malicious. Uh, so there was certain indicators within, within the application code that you know, th- these antivirus vendors had a sense that something strange was going on. Uh, most of them didn't pinpoint the specific uh, DDoS attack functionality that were in the applications. They were largely identifying the click fraud-related behavior that uh, seemed to be kind of the initial purpose of these applications.
0: In terms of uh, general advice for people who want to protect their devices from uh, inadvertently becoming part of a botnet, what kinds of uh, things would you want to share?
1: I would say it's a good rule of thumb to stick to only acquiring applications from the first-party stores for your particular platform. So the Google Play Store if you're on some type of Android device, um, the, you know, the Apple uh, App Store if you're on an iOS device. They have significant resources dedicated to scanning applications that get submitted to those app stores to ensure that they are reasonably safe and you know, sometimes things still do slip through the cracks, but they have far more resources dedicated to securing those platforms versus these third-party websites who appear to clone the legitimate app stores. However, there, are, there is no independent confirmation that the application you're downloading is really the application you think you're downloading. There's no fingerprint on the application that shows it hasn't been modified. Um, so you, you really are taking a significant risk if you're downloading from a third-party app store. Yeah, stay out of bad neighborhoods, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, know, you wouldn't take candy from a stranger. You shouldn't be taking third-party applications from a stranger either.
0: Our thanks to Justin Payne from Cloudflare for joining us. You can find the research about the Wirex botnet on Cloudflare's website. It's in their blog section.